Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to The Shapes of Stories, a podcast with me, Lawrence Prestige, as your host. Stories come in all shapes and sizes, whether it be from our favourite books, our life experiences, or the day-to-day challenges and issues we face in the world today. Hi guys, and welcome to another episode of The Shapes of Stories with me, Lawrence Prestige. And yeah, a really interesting episode for you guys today, as I'm joined by um, Fiona Murden. And uh, Fiona Murden is a psychologist who um, has written some wonderful books, and her latest book, uh, Mirror Thinking. And um, yeah, we get to talk about so many different subjects um, in this chat, you know, how people are doing emotionally with lockdown. We talk about, um, you know, role models, which is kind to do with the book mirror thinking and the impact, the positive and negative um, impacts it can have on us. And uh, yeah, that was really interesting. The people that we sort of idolise, look up to or admire and um, yeah, and the role they play in our lives. It was really interesting to talk to Fiona about that. We covered lots of different subjects about mental health as well. And, um, you know, celebrities that are on reality shows and things like that. And uh, But yeah, um, without giving away too much, here is my chat with the wonderful Fiona Murden. So how have you been? How's uh, lockdown this year been for you, I guess? (laughs) It's been interesting. I mean, I feel really lucky because we're not sick and we're working. Um, So there's not really much we can complain about. I mean, it feels a bit monotonous now, but that's the same for everyone. And, you know, I I speak to people on the front line and I realise that... um, it's just it's just really black and white isn't it they've got Mm. just a level of intensity that none of the rest of us see yeah yeah I mean how I mean how have you been doing sort of emotionally um mentally over the year have you had sort of like I guess everyone's kind of having their ups and downs that kind of been a bit of a roller coaster for you yeah I kind of I because I'm supporting other people I guess I don't know I, I think about strategies to help people and Sometimes I think I forget a bit about myself and then I'll sort of go, whoa, you know, because it hits you when you're not expecting it. But um, I also think it's actually helpful to help other people because just the frame of mind it puts you in. And, you know, I mean, research wise, there's loads of research to say it's helpful as well, but just kind of gets you out of yourself and your own head. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does naturally make you feel good, doesn't it? Just being helpful. And I think it's kind of, I don't, I, you know, underrated in a way, because like, it's, it's sometimes some of the simple things can make you feel good, like even if it's just helping an old lady put her shopping in her car, you know, it's such an easy thing to do, and then like, actually, actually, I feel quite good about that, that I've done that, it's so really I don't think nice. we, yeah. Yeah, I think, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, I know on Zoom you can't do that, because it goes, um, <laughs> but yeah, it really, and I think you feel like you're connecting with people and the world around you, and um just makes you feel a bit more whole yeah yeah I mean but do you think with Covid like it's going to I mean all this you know you talk about people on the front line for example is it going to affect people's I guess mental health long long term whether it be you know the frontline workers in the ANHS like you said whether it be care workers or people feeling lonely throughout lockdown do you think it's going to have 
you know, hopefully the end is in sight with COVID, you know, with vaccines and everything. But do you think there's going to be, you know, a long-term effect that it's going to cause for people's mental health? Well, I know that um, healthcare professionals are likely to suffer PTSD. And you can see how when the volume of death that they're having to deal with and to the extent to which it's out of their control are two factors that really strongly play into um, feelings of helplessness, but also not being able to process it because they just don't have mental space because they're dealing with so much volume. So I, I, I do worry about healthcare providers. Um, I, I've spoken to some teachers who've just reached out to talk to them. And I, and I think teachers in a different way have got huge amounts of pressure on them as well, which could or couldn't have long-term impacts. It really depends on how they've processed that personally, I think. And then I think that's the same for the population. It's It depends on where people were at already and depends on how worn down they were already emotionally from life or whatever, whether this could be something that's a tipping point for quite a lot of people, I think. But there'll be those that carry on optimistic and we kind of have to feed off those people and look at their perspective and and see through their eyes how the world is. Um, but there's, I mean, that's, having said that, there's also, I saw a piece of research coming out that PTSD in the general population is also increasing over has been over the course of the pandemic. Yeah. Well, it makes you think about children as well, how it's going to affect them long term, especially just not being able to interact, I guess, with other kids, like having those moments where they're learning things on the playground and in classrooms, not just, you know, academically, but socially as as well. Like it must be, it must be a huge thing they're missing out on the longer this goes on. Massive. It's absolutely massive. And you think about, um, I mean, teenagers. So I've got a 14 year old daughter and she's been coping really well, but she she misses seeing her friends and she can FaceTime. But there's so many tiny nuances of emotion and behavior that we pick up and we process without even realizing it. And, and you just don't get that over a phone call or a Zoom. And so, yeah, that, and, and they're, they're a critical stage of social and emotional development um, in terms of the way their brain's developing. So yeah, I think it will have it will have an impact, but hopefully it's something we can we can fix. It, hopefully it's nothing that will cause us to break permanently, <laughs> as it were. Yeah, no, absolutely. It just it just kind of makes you think, you know, especially for the the really the ones that were doing the perhaps their first year at school this year, like you know, for the primary schools, the five year olds, sort of that that year they're kind of missing to develop with kids socially the really young ones or maybe even the kids that are going to had their first year at secondary school um this year I guess you know that's quite big big sort of life things that they're missing isn't it really yeah absolutely and I also think I really feel for the students at university I just Mm. you imagine you've been looking forward to getting out of school and finally going to college or university and leaving home and then you just don't (laughs) you're stuck in a halls of residence poke your little room somewhere and you can't even like sort of meet your friends and well meet people full stop mm-hmm. yeah no 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 that's absolutely right I mean I mean obviously you've got your new the, the newest book that you've written the mirror thinking I suppose what is the mirror system I suppose how does it work in your opinion if you had to define it so the mirror neuron system is uh, if I go back to the guy um 
Rizzolatti, who first discovered it, he was actually doing, he's a neurophysiologist at Palmer University, and he was looking at monkeys' brains. And it's a bit cruel, this bit, because they take the skull off the top of a monkey's brain, and then they put... <laughs> electrodes into it which always makes me feel a bit sad because I, I don't like that sort of thing but um they were trying to work out exactly where the grasping motion was in a, the hand of a monkey and it, when one of the researchers was eating lunch one day they noticed that the monkey who was watching them but wasn't actually moving the same areas of the brain were lit up as if that monkey was moving and, and grasping and putting the food to its mouth itself and so that's where the mirror concept came from, was the fact that the brain is mirroring what someone else is doing. It's going through the same areas of the brain, but it's not doing anything. It's not triggering your own body to move. And that's believed to be, I mean, whether the mirror, so, so you know, there's debate, a whole load of neuroscientists debate about it, but whether the mirror system itself is, um, a concrete concept because in human brain you can't look at single neuron uh, activity that the fact is that we learn from other people and we learn from watching and listening and absorbing our environment which is when it comes back to those teenagers why it's like like you say it's a critical part of their life and when it's those kids that are going to secondary school for the first time or kids going to primary school but the other thing I think we forget is that continues throughout life so while it's in a heightened level of development for those kids, we're all learning from other people all of the time. And so we've all sort of lacked that. And, you know, we, we look at it in terms of mental health because, but actually fundamentally it's because we can't connect and it's almost feed off each other in the way that we're evolved to do. Yeah. And so what is it about the concept of that mirror thinking that really fascinates you I suppose to, to write to, to write books on it is there something that sort of triggered it for you to, to write about so I am um, two things one is I speak to loads of leaders because I've coached senior leaders for well I've profiled and all sorts of things for a number of years and they would always say they didn't have someone that they could look to to as a role model whereas when they were younger they would be able to and so I would think well Actually, I got to the point where I was saying to them, you need to piece together the bits that you see in other people. So you might see that world leader as an amazing communicator, but you don't like this and that of them. Or that actor um, delivers a speech amazingly, but you don't necessarily want to be an actor or do all those other things. So that was one aspect. And that's all mirroring. And the other thing is, psychology is really complicated and complex and on the one hand you can look at things and think well that's obvious but on the other hand it's not and I wanted to use something that was made sense to people to explain some all sorts of bits of psychology and how they fit together and the mirror system and role modeling fit that because it puts these things together it says we learn from other people. We learn how to live our life. We learn how to, it's all the things from attitudes and values through to, if I was to yawn now, you would probably yawn too. Yeah. And so it's, we catch emotions, we catch attitudes, we, and then we incorporate the values of the people around us and the culture. And so we're constantly absorbing from other people 
And I wanted to put it in a, a, a way that people got. And I, to me, the mirror system explains the mechanism in the brain and role modeling explains it in terms of a concept that makes sense to people. Because if you start talking about neuropsychology and all that sort of stuff, people go, oh, you know, plays <laughs> over. Okay, what? <laughs> <laughs> but if yeah. you talk about role models, everyone knows what role model means. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I suppose, you know, you probably can get the positive and negative aspect of that. I mean, just when you're talking there, I was I was just thinking of Donald Trump, for example, over the last few yeah. years, and who was someone that yeah yeah he was a very controversial figure, perhaps not an orthodox sort of president during his time. Um, did you think like there were people mirroring his behaviour because he was you know such a high profile, had all these followers. Um, he'd be tweeting about you know the way he talked about females, the way you know if you're a supporter of Trump and you're believing what he's putting out there, do you think people consciously or unsubconsciously know that they are copying what Trump's doing, his behaviours? Yeah, I think absolutely. And there was a statistic that I wrote in the book, I can't remember off the top of my head, that when Trump came to power, the amount of hate crime went up dramatically. And whether it's Trump or anyone, but particularly someone who's... He's charismatic, even though he's not charismatic in a good way. It, if someone is able to engage people at an emotional level, they will imitate them. But we don't use that word. We don't think, oh, I'm copying them or I'm imitating them or I'm taking on that behaviour. But people were, and it also gave permission. So people, if you think about it, if you might, um, okay, so say, say, say something weird, like say you like peanut butter with chocolate ice cream and it's a bit weird and you tell your friends and they're all like what <laughs> you like what but then you find out that actually this movie star likes peanut butter and chocolate ice cream suddenly it makes it seem okay it's like hey <laughs> I like that too wow that's cool and it you know it's a silly example but it's like that it's like he is giving permission to hate crime he's giving permission to um sexualizing women about being anti-LGBTQ all those things he's saying yeah it's all right to be that so there might be a tiny ounce of someone that has a little bit of hate towards something but suddenly that's allowed and it kind of almost sets it free and it says yeah I can be I can be like raw around with a gun and that's cool or things that might otherwise be slightly suppressed yeah and it's just like even even the term I'm pretty sure he. I didn't hear it. I don't think I heard it pre-Trump as well. Just the term "fake news" is now a thing that's so commonly used. But that just came from Trump just flying it about, and it's become this thing where we hear you can hear it every day on social media, on on the news, or what's what's real news, what's fake news. It becomes a thing because Trump's sort of thrown this phrase about that everyone's just kind of picked up on. And I mean, the idea as well, like you know, he's saying the election was rigged. You know, it's just a, a crazy thing. You know, if anyone else would have seen it, said that in, in past times, it would have been that's absolutely crazy. But because Trump's kind of just got this thing of spouting off and people pick up on it, it, it becomes this genuine thing that no, no, like I think it was a, I can't remember exactly what it was, but the percentage of people that genuinely believe that the US election is now in question and not true is, is crazy. Yeah, it's, and so he basically makes up his own version of the truth and then yeah. and then um, encourages other people to believe it. And I spoke to a friend of mine, and he's he lives in New York. He's gay, he's married to his partner, um, and he's sort of very open-minded and, and very much Democrat. But 
and that's not to say everyone that's Republican is the opposite of that, but his dad is sort of much more um, down the line Republican old school. And when um, COVID broke out, he he said to his dad, his dad was going through cancer treatment. He's like, dad, you can't go out. You can't do this. You can't. No, 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 no it's fine. It doesn't exist. It's fine. And he would say, Trump says it's okay. And Trump says this and Trump says that. And my friend was going, no, 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 dad, you've got to understand that there's this data that says otherwise. But even when a family member is saying that, this guy is completely convinced because he's a Trump supporter that everything that Trump says is true. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, scary. Um, yeah, no. I mean, is there any, any, I guess, you know, as a psychologist, is there anyone else sort of like that's in the public domain similar to Donald Trump that you kind of look and you think, oh, I'd love to be able to sort of get inside their, their mind? Is there anyone that you've kind of, over the years, you've kind of looked at, you know, and thought, oh, I'd really love to have like a session with them and talk? <laughs> um, Putin. Putin, yeah. So I um, I did, I wrote a book that's not been published and I, I, I don't want it to be published, but it was sort of before the other two. And I wrote about Putin in that and I've read a lot about him to write about him. And he's fascinating. And I think, I mean, I think it's, it's complicated massively from the way historically the um, systems have been, social systems have been set up within Russia, but um, really interesting. Yeah, not necessarily yeah. someone I would want to meet again. I just do it, you know, do profile <laughs> and then leave and then not see again. Yeah, no, yeah, no, I get what you mean. I mean, do you, do you think in general, like, I guess across all ages, that we do mirror our inspirations that perhaps we don't even know, like in terms of the television who we read about, um, you know, because everyone's influenced by someone, aren't, you? aren't they? You know, I was really influenced by Robin Williams, for example. And um, it, it, without even really knowing it, I was going through a bout of depression before Ron Williams died, and it was actually his death that made me think, "Oh wait, I'm gonna go to. I don't want to. I don't want this." Even though he's a big inspiration, inspiration on me, and there had been celebrities that took their own lives before. But for, for whatever reason, Robin Williams' suicide made me go, "I'm gonna go to doctors and get help now." So it's it's really interesting to think that people that we don't even know but have just we really look up to can really make you know make us make big decisions in our own lives absolutely and I think that I mean that's how we that's how we exist mm. and I think we really underplay it and it's a great example Robin Williams and I'm so pleased that you um, went and got help but when we respect and care about someone and feel that connection that's the thing you felt connection with him yeah which which means and the I call it counter mirroring but counter-mirroring is as important as mirroring, and it's often more conscious. So when we see a parent doing something when we're a child and we think, I don't want to grow up to be like that, we can hold that stronger than if we're actually copying without realising. Um, but we do it all the time, I mean, as adults, all through life. So it's even things like if you think about when someone crosses the road before the the pedestrian crossing says you can then other people will follow we we kind of give each other these social permissions by doing things um yeah it's 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 even when i'm just thinking as an example like even when you're like uh not in a rush just you know off at london marlborough going down to get the underground not in a rush but you hear underground train come in 
and you and there's going to be another one in about a minute or two but you start seeing people run into that one and you think i've got to get on this you've I've really i've got to run and get on this this underground drain and it's like i have no no reason to rush or anything like that but just because i see a few other people rush in to get this underground um train i feel like i have to as well <laughs> yeah and we're just not conscious of it it's happening i mean that's why that's i mean it it's absolutely phenomenal when you think about all the, the things exactly that that we're doing all of the time and it's from tiny little things like we can sit and look and we've got our arms crossed and the person opposite us that we're talking to has got their arms crossed in exactly the same way that's mirroring um but the the lasting and significant values and attitudes and behavior come from really trusting someone and connecting with someone and so whether right or wrong, people connect with and trust Trump and therefore really dramatically influences their behaviour. And probably a lot of them aren't even conscious of that. They're, they're conscious of supporting Trump, yeah, but they won't be conscious of the fact that their behaviour has changed as a result of that. Yeah, and do you think to them it justifies, let's say, you know, when they stormed the Capitol building a few, couple of weeks ago, but in their minds, because... I mean, you can't, I don't know if there's evidence to say Trump told them to do it, but, you know, there was that encouragement to, to be angry, for example, that he was given out to his supporters. He gave them but, permission. Yeah, I mean, he was sort of saying, let's go, let's march down to the Capitol and make our voices heard and stuff like that. But in their heads, although what they were doing is very violent and people people, people forget, people died from uh, people from this st- storm in the Capitol. I think a few people died. But in their heads, were they complete, do you think they felt because Trump was sort of supporting the movement that it was completely justified for them to do that? I think so. I mean, it's difficult to know for sure, isn't it? But mm. I think so. I, mean, I looked at it and just couldn't believe the language he was using because when you're a leader, so if you think, I work with leaders who are not as powerful as Trump in terms of their positional power. They're leaders of massive organisations, so thousands of people still. But suddenly, when you're a leader, the intonation of your voice even is picked up again often subconsciously by people who are looking to you for leadership and so if you phrase something just a word different it will make an impact on how people behave mm-hmm. yeah even I mean even that ridiculous thing you said about what was it uh putting bleach into your oh, <laughs> body it's just like so, you know if you got if you got someone that was vulnerable listening to that like you, you never know you could be thinking that's the court you know that's the answer to covid Yeah. And people, I mean, people, particularly in terms of uncertainty, people are looking to leadership to tell them what to do. And however independent we think we are, we we are looking, we're looking to the experts or the leaders to say, even at the moment, so you think we're in deep lockdown in the UK, we're, we're waiting to be told what to do. And that may not be mirroring, but it's we're looking to leadership for that. Um, and we might not respect the leadership, we might not agree with the leadership, but we they're the ones that are making the decisions. And so you put that together with the effect of actually when someone's mirroring as well, and it's it's really powerful. Yeah. Do you think there's like a, a point where your brain or you know is more vulnerable to sort of mirror thinking? Is it perhaps as a teenager when you're sort of your brain developing a bit more that you might be open to people you know for, for example you see people like uh thinking reality stars and all this they want to imitate them and how you know, it might necessarily be a healthy 
imitation that they're trying to to reflect on themselves. But um, do you think that's perhaps the the period in your in, in people's lives where it can be a bit dangerous? I suppose sometimes. It's funny because the research shows that teenagers even though they are more susceptible, they're also more aware of what's influencing them than we are as adults. So to that extent, they're more in control of it, in that we might be influenced by the fact that our mate just bought a new pair of trainers and we quite like them and we get the same pair or a new bike or and we're not really even thinking about it. It's just we're doing that. And then we look around and we think, actually, my group of mates, we've all got the same make bike or something but when you're a teenager you're more conscious of it there's evidence obviously you know it's no surprise that risky behavior teenagers are more vulnerable to risky behavior particularly boys because testosterone levels sort of drive um risk risky behavior but there's also what i found nice when i was researching for the book teenagers are influenced by pro-social behavior so what we talked about at the beginning so giving to other people helping other people if they see their peers doing it it influences them to do it as well so there's you know there's good stuff and although teenagers are really influenced by peers because it's the time at which social developments are sort of heightened they're also still looking to parents for values and attitude which again slightly surprising because you think nah they're just like don't want to listen to my parents but the things that are really ingrained are values and attitudes and so and what I found interesting is there's this one guy I spoke to it's, it's a long story but he's called Junior Smart and he was in he was sent to prison for 10 years for um be uh being a member of a violent gang and I don't know what he, he got involved in but he basically was got assault he got sent to prison for 10 years and he came out and when he was in prison he thought I'm not going to do this anymore and when he came out he now works tirelessly to t- talk to young kids and say to them that don't go down the route I went down and so I go I, I wasn't meant to be analyzing but I sort of analyze that and I think well what what was that about? And then we, we talked about his role models and his role model was his mum who worked really, really hard in a London hospital. He didn't have a dad for a while. Then he had a stepdad who he did really respect. And he had a big sister who he's so proud of, who's sort of like worked really hard and done really well. And so he had these attitudes. And it was also attitudes of respect for other people. And so whilst he got pulled into the gang sort of mentality and lifestyle, what had been there, the foundations of what had been there when he was growing up was something that he returned to. And so I I thought that was immensely powerful. But the thing is, we need to give more kids that age who don't have parents who are providing that for them, that belief in themselves and hope and sort of instill values and attitudes and I believe that's through enabling mentoring and role modeling is one very helpful way of doing that. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you think there's I suppose enough of the healthier role models about for for young people because you know when I when I tour around schools obviously I haven't for a while because of Covid but you know it, it, it was always worried me a little bit the amount of people that 
kids at primary school ages, nine, ten years old, saying, well, what, what do you want to be when you're older? And else, I want to be an Instagram model, or I want to be an influencer, or a YouTuber. I was like, wow, that, that, these things didn't even exist when I got asked these things as a child. And I just, you know, I think, especially, particularly with Instagram, I think sometimes it worries me that people feel that they, with all the filtering and stuff like that, and for a young person to see who their, who their inspirations are, who they, you know, look up to, thinking, well, I'll be relevant and happy if I'm like this person on Instagram who has lots and lots of followers, lots and lots of likes, looks a certain way and my body's a certain way. Do you think there's quite a lot of that for young, vulnerable teenagers you're supposed to deal with? Yeah, massively worries me because mm. if you don't have anything to look to, then you look to your screen and yeah. that's what your screen is providing you. But this, the other thing I think is your screen's providing you with lots of bitty images so you're not even seeing an end-to-end conversation which your brain is learning from which we don't realize or recognize you're seeing just images kind of almost flashing before you and no it's it's not helpful or healthy um there's a charity that I've started working with called Future First and they're in 10% of UK comprehensive schools and they provide alumni they call them but mentors of 18 to 25 year olds for 14 to 18 year olds so the kids have already left that school and who've gone on to maybe uni or something like that to just help them and I mean you hear just little things like a kid will say god I didn't you know I really now I've realized I actually my GCSEs matter and I'm going to work much harder and it's people that they can relate to that are nearer them and actually that can get in the way in a positive way of Instagram and all those sorts of things because they're immediate they're there they can connect with them but we have to be able to provide kids with that yeah no no absolutely I do yeah it just worries me so you know you get these reality shows like Love Island and uh and, th- and things like that and you know and so in some cases the people that have even been on those shows it's, it's ended very subtly there's been a few a few, few contestants that took their own lives and stuff and had someone on the show that was on one of the MTV shows X on the Beach, and you know she thought that she uh, sort of lost her identity from being on that show because she be- kind of became she was a young sort of vulnerable girl that went on the show was on this you know island or whatever it was of exes and things like that and became she was almost kind of given an image and personality that the show wanted her to have you know and then she kind of um, spent that year being popular from that show and stuff then it kind of all went away. And it, you know, and she was kind of well. I don't know who 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 am I now? Like you don't want to. I've become kind of became really, this person for you, but now you don't really want to know who I am anymore because that kind of year's gone, and there's a new show of it now. <laughs> yeah, and it really it really upsets me and worries me. I've written. Um, I wrote. I spoke to um, what they called digital spy about Love Island when uh, there was a suicide on it, and just saying, and I quite openly said it. I, I disagree. I think there's a duty of care on the behalf of the TV programs. And I was asked years ago to be the psychologist for Big Brother. And, you know, it sounds really exciting and interesting and stuff. But I was like, no, I don't agree with the principle of it because I think you're taking vulnerable people, even if those people are cocky or arrogant, they're vulnerable and you're you're manipulating them. And you're also providing a really fake image to kids who are watching. I was speaking to I was on um, Modern Wisdom podcast which is hosted by Chris Williamson and he 
I didn't realise until we were in the podcast, but he was he was on that violence. And he's oh, right. yeah. and he says the same, you know, he says he doesn't agree with it. He thinks it's a bad he thinks it's a bad concept. He thinks mm. it's unhealthy. Yeah. And at the time, I guess for those young people, it just sounds wow, like I'm gonna be on TV and it's a massive programme and you know, people are I'm gonna come out of it and people are gonna to wanna to know who I am and we you know want the attend I'll be invited to parties and things like that. And that might be like that for a few months, perhaps. But then it will go away and then it's dealing with that what to do once it's gone away that can be, I suppose, soul destroying, especially for a young person. To yeah, kind because, of... because it's not building on any skills or any capability or, or saying they have any internal value. It's saying about it's exploiting and saying what they look like. Um, it's not saying. So, for example, a good a presenter on TV who maybe maybe you take a youngster and you say, right, you're going to present this TV program for six months. Well, that's a skill. That's a skill they've learned. But sitting around sort of not doing much and just talking to people on Love Island or something, it's not a skill. It's not something you can then take and, and use to live your life, nor is it part of who you are or your identity. And so it's really destabilizing, I think. And there was um, it, it just reminded me, there was a guy, a CEO of a company that I used to work for. He asked me to speak to his son because his son had got on um, The Apprentice he got down to one of the last few and he asked me to speak to him to basically persuade him not to be on it. <laughs> and because, But I've seen the other side of TV. I mean, I'm not in TV, but I've got friends in TV and stuff like that. And I said, I just, I didn't, I, I literally just told him the reality of it. I said, you can go on that, but this is what they're going to do. They're going to edit it. They're going to portray you in a certain way. That might be great but it might not. And if it's portrayed the wrong way, then you you have that to carry for quite a few years when you're trying to get a job, when you're trying to do X, Y, and Z. So it's just, it is, it's exploiting young people. Yeah. Well, then I've a couple, I'm trying to think how long it was ago now because I've sort of lost my terms of dates because of COVID. But obviously we had the thing with Jeremy Kyle as well, where the show's just been closed because because of that situation where, you know, it, 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 I think it had been it'd been going on for quite a while and it just seemed to get it sadly people I think it was one of these things that everyone felt like it was inevitable and just everyone saw it was going to come it was not wasn't going to naturally just have this happy ending like at some point it was something sad was going to happen and it was going to be a big fallout about it yeah but and then it's a bit like people it's a bit like people standing by I mean it's a more extreme example but people standing by when someone's bullying it's people don't speak up. They can, like you say, they can see that it's going in the wrong way. They can see that it's not right. But uh, it's not my decision, or I don't play a big part in it, or I'll, you know, I'm, I'm only doing this because it's my job. Or, but actually, it's it's up to all of us to. It sounds really moralistic, but to protect and look after one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, so is, is television always kind of that you say you've been off the big brother? Is that kind of always just been? a no-go really for you just because you don't agree with the aspects no, of it it's funny because I am because I I was asked to be a tv presenter on this this <laughs> kids tv thing it was okay. it's a long story but I was I just got my I was sort of the first year of my graduate job and I had this thing in my head that I had to do it for two years before I left because I had to have two years on my CV if I ever changed my mind and I wanted to go back to it. It was this massive decision. And I just remember going into work every day and debating it with all these people. And I think, I mean, what I'd like to do is make a documentary or two. And 
I definitely think it's a massively positive way of communicating. And one of my role models is David Attenborough. And, you know, I see him as a broadcaster who communicates knowledge in such an amazing way. And I kind of aspire to be like that, but with psychology and behavioral science. And so I don't know, watch this space. <laughs> yeah, man, that sounds that sounds really interesting. Yeah, David Attenborough is great. I love his show. It just, just seems so, you just kind of get lost in his world almost, isn't it? When it's just a voice and you just kind of, just, just you feel like you're there in a weird kind of way, just observing it all. <laughs> he's incredible, yeah. And yeah. I, you know, he's been an amazing broadcaster right from the get go. He's sort of been really innovative for his time. He's always been like a step ahead, and I, I just, I think he's incredible. Yeah, I mean, sort of talking about kids TV and Dave, Dave Attenborough there, and do do you think you know, sort of going back to um, mirror thinking, do you think storytelling has a part of that, especially for I guess younger? people yeah and I, I mean I don't think I use it enough because mm. I'm passionate about communicating and and I argue that you need to use storytelling and I coach the leaders I work with to use it but I don't think I use it enough I think it's the most powerful vehicle for mm-hmm. any information yeah it's escapism as well isn't it it's just you just kind of in that in that scenario in the story <laughs> well yeah and and you know um neurologically our brain mirrors that of the storyteller. Mm-hmm. So there's this one experiment. I'll just go geeky for a second. There's yeah, this one it. experiment <laughs> where they they looked at um, brain activity of someone talking about just sort of like the news type thing, just someone talking and someone listening. And they were looking at the brain activity of both of them and they were both different. And then they got that same person to tell a story and the brain of the listener then starts to synchronize with the person telling the story. So their brain patterns literally start mirroring one another. That's so powerful, because you're literally yeah. almost getting inside someone else's brain. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm just actually thinking of asking you, like, do you think, like, you know, we talk about role models, like, for instance, see, you know, Robin Williams is a massive example for, in, in, example of my inspirations for me, Walt Disney, Roald Dahl, people like that. But do you, do you, do you ever get people that perhaps are so influenced by their inspiration they almost try and live like them I suppose like them to the extent of almost wanted the same life as the same journey same you know same uh, road of journey that they go on I mean there must be there's there must be and you know I can't think of examples off the top of my head I can I mean Elon Musk is kind of a, <laughs> a wacky example but his his role models or if you, you you know I don't know how much it's true but people say that he was comic book fanatic and his role models were kind of out there and his ideas and the way he thinks are out there and that has to come from somewhere however much we all think we're sort of like doing things for the first time we we have to have seen or felt or heard it somewhere else before and so and there must be I mean there must be people that literally sort of idolize people but I, I mean, I love all the role models you mentioned there. I think they're all fantastic. Oh yeah, yeah, great. Right. I mean, I mean that's the that's the thing. I don't know if there's those kind of. I feel like a, I lived in a as a younger person. I lived in a world where there was really good role models for me to have. I'm not. Too, you know, I mean, there are them out there still, but I. You know, that we we're getting so many negative influences now, whether it be reality stars, and it's kind of people want to be famous rather than talented. 
and um, and it's kind of that. Like I was lucky; I had Robin Williams and Roald Dahl and Walt Disney, like I said, and and was a football fans, Alan Shearer, and but but people now they their influences are people that are on Love Island, Big Brother, because you know it's like wow, they've got so many followers, and look at them posting pictures and living this really fantastic, exciting life. I think that worries me a bit that there's not enough sort of talented role models for people out there. Yeah, I agree. And I think you, you're then basing it on something that's fragile because you're basing it on something that's not real. Followers don't actually tell you anything about that person, although it feels like they do because the way our brain works. And being on a show, it, we don't know that person's values. We don't know what they believe in. We don't know what their attitudes are. We don't know how they do things. We just see them on a show. Whereas Roald Dahl, I imagine you knew he had his writing hut in the garden and you probably visualised that and you knew what he believed in and you knew what he was passionate about and what his values were. Even if you didn't believe in all of those things, you you knew what they were and there's substance to it. So it it, it doesn't mean those people are bad who are, who are those reality TV show stars, but they're not projecting a real something for people to really hang on to and build themselves, build their values and who they are off, which leaves real problems for mental health as well, because, you know, one of the things around mental uh, emotional resilience is really knowing your own identity and your own personal narrative and your own values. You don't, if you can't even say that to the people you're sort of looking up to, it's really hard. And I think that's kind of like something I'd like to see. I really, I totally agree with you. And I'd really like to see change. And I think, I mean, I personally think Marcus Rashford is brilliant. He's been a really good example recently. Yeah, Marcus Rashford. Yeah. But there aren't enough of him. Or, or there, if there are, we're not hearing enough about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. No. What Marcus Rashford's done has been brilliant because, you know, I think, I think with footballers as well, we, like, we, you know, people are quick to, you know, it's, it's another argument, I suppose, talk about how much footballers are on and it's ridiculous money, the kind of things that they're on and they don't really care. And we jump on them when they're making mistakes and things like that. But, you know, when they do something positive like Marcus Rashford's done, I think we really need to kind of, he's, he's a really young, he's like 22, 23 years old. Amazing. And yeah, and to do that at that age where most footballers at that age kind of going through, we're hearing about them in the, for the wrong reasons because they're breaking COVID rules or they're going out and they're doing this and they're drinking or going whatever. Um, but for, you know, for someone that young to want to do that and write to the prime minister and things like that, I think it's really amazing for people to look up to, yeah. And then if you see, I don't know if you saw that documentary on him, um, it's on BBC, and you just see, you see the whole of him and you see that he cares about his family, like he really cares about his family, that he is respectful of his mum and adores her. And, you know, it's not to say everyone needs to be respectful of and adore their mum, but he his role modelling extends beyond one act that he's done. If, if you look at the whole of him, there's so much good stuff there. Of course, there's going to be bad stuff because everyone has bad stuff as well. No one's perfect. But, um, yeah, I think he's amazing, though. Yeah, I think he remembers his roots as well, doesn't he? I think he probably remembers when, you know, his mum struggled, I suppose, as a kid being like that. And I guess he identifies with these. You know, it'd be very easy for him to be like, well, I'm on this much money a week now. I've just long gone those memories. But... You know, he, he's really remembered, I guess, the tough upbringing he's had with his mum and the struggles that she had to put food on the table and getting him to school and, you know, and all that. So, yeah, you know, it's really refreshing that Marcus Rashford at such a young age is wanting to do stuff off the pitch as well as, you know, just be on it, you know. 
Yeah, definitely. I think he's brilliant. Um, but he's relatable to people as well. Because if I stood up there, for example, and I said the same thing, kids, I had, I had a middle class upbringing. I never had an issue with, you know, I was lucky. I always had food on the table. So how do, how do kids relate? How would they relate to me? You know, how would a, a black boy who loves football look up to a blonde woman who's sort of middle class and never had a problem you know it's it's they you have to see yourself in someone and that doesn't mean you have to be the same race and the same gender but it makes it much easier yeah I mean so so how do you see us I suppose emerging from from Covid and then hopefully in the next sort of few months but you know I think it'll still be the majority of the year I think we'll probably still have some kind of restrictions and things going on but but um, I guess the way we're communicating the way you know our minds are, are thinking and things like that like how do you sort of see us emerging from Covid? I, well, I don't I think people will fall back into normality quicker than we expect um, I'm hoping that people don't carry the scars with them like we said, unfortunately, some people will suffer because it will just push them too far. Quite a lot probably push them too far. But I think the most important thing is that we all go out there and we properly connect with people again. We hug people as soon as we can. We sit and we have in-depth conversations with people face-to-face, like in real life. Um, those things that we realise are so important and we do miss them in our normal day-to-day life as well because we all get so busy but it's absolutely critical to being human Mm -hmm. yeah no absolutely and I'm looking forward to seeing your your films that you're going to have coming documentary (laughs) films well first of all I've got to do this work with the uh, the charity that's coming up this year but that'll be um maybe maybe I'll do it with the charity on some of the stuff we do with the kids there I don't know yeah, that'll be great. And are you writing as well at the minute? And no, I've got um, my literary agent wants me to write my next book. I, I've got my idea for it, but I'm not going. I think I just need a bit of a pause because I've just written a second edition to my first book, which comes out in May. Mm-hmm. So I'll sort of let that at May in the UK and September in the US and everywhere else. So I just yeah. kind of I'll let that one play out as well, rather than trying to launch two books. Yeah, you know, it's weird as well. People are saying to me, because I write and stuff, like, people, oh, you must be, you must be doing loads of writing at the minute. And it's a bit like, I'm actually, I'm, even though I've got more time stuck at home, I've been struggling a bit more, because you almost kind of have too much time to play with. And it's kind of like, well, I can do it then, and then do bits here, do bits there. You kind of act, you start like resenting your the workspace that you that you're in. Like when when I was had my normal schedule, I knew right I've got a two hour slot there at home where I could do some writing. That's going to be my productive space. But when you've kind of got the whole day to kind of think, well, I'll just do a bit of writing here and there. You kind of it's it, for me. I found that a bit more difficult. But you know, I think it's I totally get what you're saying, and I think it's almost like you know when you sit on the sofa and you relax, and and then you. you you can't be bothered to get the re- remote controller that's sort of in front of the TV. It, it's that sort of thing. It's like you need to move to have the energy to move more. And it's like we need to interact and have contrast in our day and our setting, I think, to be able to think properly. And that that comes to writing because to write, you have to have 
that you have to have the space of going out to your car and getting in it that gives you a bit of reflection time that you don't even realize you had or you've got a change of scenery or you've talked to someone else that without you realizing it has sparked another idea but when you're just sat there it's like <laughs> it's really hard yeah so you said David Attenborough is one of your inspirations is that was that the main one or was there a few others as well I love Mayor, Mayor Angelou um, I think she's an incredible communicator, an amazing woman. Um, I think the Obamas are great. Um, I think Nelson Mandela was incredible, not for his sort of more terrorist years when he was blowing things up, but you know the fact actually that he managed to come out of 27 years in prison and have changed the way he looked at things, I just thought was absolutely incredible. And, and constantly learning, you know, when he was in prison, he was writing to people and he was reading and he was absorbing everything he could to come out like an even better person with even better views. And then, yeah, my parents and my step parents, I guess. Yeah. And my big yeah, brother. <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think, uh, you know, just thinking of some of mine, I'd love to get, I guess, a bit of your another time get your opinion on them because you know like Robin Williams as well like I love just, Robin Williams well yeah, yeah just the fact that he, even just like learn I mean there's an amazing documentary like he didn't know that he had um a dementia and um there's amazing that's just come out on Amazon Prime called Robin's Wish and they saw his wife sort of talking about you know the, the last year of his life and how he was losing his mind and just his wife and his friends are just kind of talking about that but even just kind of learning that you know that kind of fast-paced improvisation and that kind of brain that he had where he was just constantly be able to kind of do this do that you know be in these characters and stuff all stemmed from just trying to get his parents attention as a child because you know they were kind of not so much his mum but his dad was very you know hard he was very sort of stern old-fashioned hard to laugh but Robin would try and do all these different voices and characters just to try and get his parents to make to laugh at him and just just through that, he's become this kind of genius of Robin Williams, the comedian, the actor, has been able to just improvise. And yeah, it was really, really interesting to, to listen I'll to. I have to watch that. He's, I mean, that sounds fascinating. He's incredible. I think he was so talented, so immensely talented. And we, we go to San Fran quite a lot and we go to, to near the bit where he lived and it always makes me, I always think of him. And, and you know, he, so he, yeah, he, He's the sort of person that I think really, really touched people and obviously resonated with you, but I just think he's amazing. Really, really talented. Yeah. Do you have a favourite film of his? <laughs> um, I, don't, I used to like it when he did the, what's it called, the Nanu Nanu thing. Oh, Morgan Mindy. Yeah, Morgan Mindy. Yeah, Morgan Mindy. Mindy. Yeah, that was great, yeah. And it, it's, quite, yeah it's, it's quite funny because in the documentary about him, he was just like... I can't really remember doing any of that because I was on everything but skates. Like he was just like in, in that kind of world, I guess, you know, you know, he says, I can't really remember doing any of Morgan Mindy, but I knew I, I was there, but I wasn't sure what I was doing after that. <laughs> What's your uh, favourite of his films? Um, I mean, I, I love them all, but I think, I think Mrs. Doubtfire for me is one of the, the favourite ones because I think the, the just, it's just at the end of the day, it's just a film about a dad that would do anything to see his children. And I think that's just a really great film. And I think it's really cleverly written how they have, you know, you have Pierce Brosnan that's kind of like the stepdad coming into it. And they could have, it would have been a bit easy to make a really good looking tall guy, you know, the opposites from Williams in some sense in terms of body figures and stuff. But like they could have made that character out to be someone that we don't like and a bit of a dick. 
but they actually they make him a really nice guy and it's actually Ron Williams who's actually the kind of being the unreasonable one in the situation that's kind of you know and I think it's really nice how they they filmed it they don't have like a bad guy in it it's just yeah I think it's a really nice film it's really clever you're right it's so clever and, and, it, and it's sort of an illustration of story and um, comedy carrying so much meaning mm-hmm. well yeah and even it's just even about the amount of people that when I say you know Mrs Doubtfire you know, my parents are still together, but the amount of people that I've sort of spoke when I've said what my favourite film is, uh, they'll say, oh yeah, that film's great for when my parents went through a divorce. Like, like that film, and the end speech that he does where he talks, you know, there's Mrs. Delphire in a TV show that they're doing, and he, you know, she talks about, uh, you know, my parents aren't going to be together anymore. And yeah, a few people have said, yeah, that I really remember watching that and it hitting home when my parents were going through a divorce. So even just stuff like that, it, you know. It's amazing. Provides comfort. It's, I mean, it's role models again. Even though it's character, it provides a role model of, of, actually, I'm not the only one going through this. And you know, the fact that they people don't consciously think the fact they've made made a film on it means there are other people that have gone through this. But it just gives that ability to think I'm not in this on my own. I think. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, it's been amazing talking to you. It's so good talking to you. Yeah, and look forward to seeing your future works. And And, and yours too. Yes, and we'll be able to talk again soon. (laughs) Yeah, lovely. Thank you so much. Take care. So there we have it, guys. A great chat there with Fiona Murden. I had a really fun time talking to her and learned quite a lot um yeah it was really nice talking to her so be sure to check out fiona's book mirror thinking and her other work as well um and follow her on social media where you can find out some really interesting things about her work and be sure to follow us on social media as well you can follow us on twitter at shapes of stories you can follow me on twitter under well at l prestige 7 you can follow me on instagram under prestige books you can follow me on facebook at lawrence prestige or on our facebook page shapes of stories as well Uh, So thanks, guys, and I'll see you again next time.